And we're recording. Yay! Yay, we have the recording. We have figured out the technology. I just need to restart Skype before every recording, and then things will be fine. Huzzah! Looks like Catherine will not be joining us tonight. Her aunt and sister are coming into town tonight. Yeah, I'm not not surprised that, you know... I'm, hey, I'm surprised that you're podcasting tonight. I need something to distract me. This is true. So, Death Roll's twitchy. I'm extremely twitchy. I have not been able to focus on anything at work, and I actually ended up just leaving halfway through the day today because I couldn't focus anymore, and I'm not feeling so hot, as you can probably tell from the sound of my voice. I'm, my body is trying really hard to get sick. And I'm saying, no, don't, you're not allowed to do this. I'm getting married on Saturday. So I've been drinking emergency since Monday, and I went to CVS today and bought myself some zinc and drinking emergency and tea and all sorts of delicious good things for me. Did you take a nap? I did not take a nap. That's too bad. I couldn't because I had to go to my chiropractor. That's too bad. It is too bad. But I will sleep well tonight, and I don't have to get up tomorrow. For That's nice. very much of anything. Or at least nothing early, I should say. I mean, I gotta go pick up the tuxedo. Yes. That's it. That is important. It's uh, very yeah. important. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we enjoy doing to people who say, Oh, it's coming up soon, huh? Like, oh, really? Yeah. Is it? Oh, I should rent a tux or something. <laughs> uh, I, I should call the church, make sure they're available. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> uh... I just okay. went and, yeah, my entire day was pretty much event-related and getting my hair cut and styled and getting my nails done and picking up my dress and... Very nice. You're going to look cute. I'm going to look cute. This is awesome. I just got confirmation today that Amelie and family are coming. Ooh, I'm excited about this. this I've is never very... met Amelie. Mm-hmm. So there will definitely be a Pufwa table. Yay! But we are not doing assigned seating. It's pretty much find your own seating. Okay. So, so you guys are just going to have to congregate. Yeah, figure out how to identify each other. Well, we've all heard each other on the podcasts, I'm this sure. This is true, but, you know, first, I, I, I don't know. So good. I, I, I might do. bring my business card and, like, hold it up. Who's here for Puffa? <laughs> Wear your Puffa shirt over the dress. No, I'm not that tacky. There you go. I know I've warned you, but there will be a professional yes. fangirl there. Yes. Who we're, we're going to have to maybe protect Melinda from. Yes, I will be her bodyguard, yes. Even though that would be funny because I'm very, very, very tiny. Yeah, but you're trained in law enforcement. I study criminal justice. There's a difference between <laughs> studying criminal justice and in law enforcement. <laughs> There's a big difference. Remember, my minor is computer forensics and i'm going into you know information security so mm-hmm. no i'm not trained in law enforcement <laughs> how you doing bob i'm good you excited when do you ship off i ship out the 15th that's i think monday it is monday that's my birthday yeah. interesting yes yes well, we definitely had to make sure we were going to talk about Stargate tonight, because for the past two times we've said we're going to, Bob has shown up with notes prepared, and he's very excited to talk about it, and we have not discussed it. Or well, at least, the first time we talked about Stargate, we just talked about the movie instead of season one. This is very true, but poor Bob was not prepared for what we were discussing, and then 
last week we decided, hey, I'm just going to change things around at the last minute and have special celebrity guests come on. So, Yay. I do want to get more celebrity guests. Yes. I think it's very exciting. Fun. We'd better hurry up and get some from B5 before they all die. Hey, shh, knock on wood. Oh. Don't jinx it. Oh. Well, there was, on the fans of Michael Straczynski page, there was an announcement that Karis the last na- was the last name, and he died recently, and he played a part on B5. Damn it. It's just, there's something about that show. It's dangerous. It's kind of like Puffwa. Yeah, but mm. po- no, no Puffwanian has died yet. <laughs> and, Death, you need to stop jinxing us, because... <laughs> You're the one who said that one. I did not say it's kind of like Puffois. We all have our disasters. We do. And it's only after we start listening to the podcast that we realize, my life isn't crazy, it's Puffois. Yeah, we all find home and it's all good. And then we start hosting or guest hosting or editing or whatever, and then we start being cursed. Yeah, then we start volunteering. Yes. I was like, oh, sure, I, I can do this little, little thing over here, and the next thing you know, you're running a podcast, or you've been appointed to the Wise and Gamut, or... Yes. And then it's, a funny thing happened to me on the way to X. Well, I found that some things that I would normally just shrug off, I say, ooh, that would be an interesting Puffo story. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, like, this week I had to go to the dentist, and... You know, kind of have the music playing lightly. Mm-hmm. One of the songs I had playing was Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> I die laughing whenever I hear that song. The more you, you the more you listen to Puffa, the more like total innocuous things seem very Puffuanian. Though I blame Ryan for that one. Yeah, definitely. Wondering how much the birds are going to sing in the background tonight. Are they excited for the wedding? They're not going to the wedding. Oh, that's too bad. You, you didn't get them tiny little tuxedos? No. They would eat them. <laughs> it would make for really cute pictures, though. It, it would. I'm, I think I'm more inclined to just take pictures of them and, like, Photoshop a tuxedo onto them. Yes. That's probably a safer thing. Probably is, yes. Keeps my fingers from being nipped. I'm tired of dealing with the nipping. I've... He's drawn blood several times, and I'm done trying to be nice to him. Yeah. Thankfully, Pouncer does not draw blood. This is good. Curie does not draw blood. She's a snuggle butt. Mm. If you put her on your shoulder, she'll just walk right up and, and curl up in, in the crook of your neck. Aww. She's a sweetie. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's a very affectionate bird. She's silly. She's just... She likes to walk across the top of the cage upside down. Mm-hmm. Enough about Counter is to say that right now is the perfect time to play, and I'm just like, right now. Uh, Enough about our pets. Stargate SG1. Woohoo! Welcome back. Season one. We are here to discuss it, and we should probably get around to introducing ourselves. Welcome back to the Puffo Exchange. 
I'm your host, Deathrill. I'm getting married in three days. I may be slightly out of my mind tonight. I'm Kat. I have many things to do in the next few days, including going to Deathrill's wedding, even though he's half a country away. So I'm not going to be as out of my mind, but I might be a little bit out of my mind. And I'm Bob. I'm shipping out to the National Guard in a few days, and that's why we're podcasting a few days before Deathrill has a wedding. Yes, we're not po- there will be no podcasting from the wedding, although no. there are actually enough oh. Pufwanians who will be there that it no, could be No, we're not do- doing it. We're not doing it. <laughs> I refuse. I'm just saying, it could happen. It could happen, but I don't think we're going to do it. Thank God. Uh. All right. Well, we have discussed Stargate quite a bit. It's a wonderful universe, very creative, very interesting, very human, and... Let's see, where did we leave off discussing? We'd finished discussing the... Children of the Gods. So we could either start with the enemy within and just go episodically, or we could just do character-based discussion. Okay, well, now that the uh, viewing... We should state right now that this is the entirety of Season 1, so we can bring up anything from Season 1 in any order. There's no spoiling of Season 1 anything. We would politely request that you limit your references to future seasons, but it has been out for so long, I don't think there's any spoiler warnings, really. I don't know. Yeah, it's, there's, I mean, we're gonna try our best to not spoil you guys out there in listener land, but it's kind of hard to when some of us have seen these, or like, I watch these once a year, so it's, sometimes the se- the seasons run together, so I might be like, oh, well, there's, there was this one episode where Sam Carter goes, da 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 and then Death Row might be like, ah, cat, that's in season four. Yeah, we'll try and catch that as much as possible in the discussion, so that that way I can edit it out. We'll do our best, but no guarantees. If you hear something that doesn't make sense, keep watching the show. <laughs> and it will make sense eventually. You will not regret it. It's a great show. Yep. All right. When last we left this universe, we had managed to severely disrupt the balance of power with the gold system lords. We killed Ra. We created a power vacuum. He was the supreme system lord. And... In his place, we had a guy by the name of Apophis, who rose up, and he's looking for a host for his queen. He has a queen who has managed to ally with, and he is going to do unspeakably sexual things to her. And <laughs> I'm sorry, that shouldn't have been funny. <laughs> he is hoping to produce a child with her. Unfortunately, the one he's chosen is Daniel's wife, Share, or Shauri, depending on what you're listening to or watching. We're going to go with Shade because there's just more evidence of it. Yep. And more, yeah, more examples of. It was one of those things that got retconned into this into this series that mm-hmm. it was now pronounced Share instead of Sharue because no one could pronounce Sharue. <laughs> yeah, as we discussed last time, these are officially in separate verses if you ask the creators, but we don't care. We think they're one, and it works out that way. It so does. we ignore the few little inconsistencies because ultimately they're very inconsequential and everything that they got right is amazing. Right. We have our team SG-1, Jack O'Neill with two L's, Sam Carter, Daniel Jackson, Teal'c, and they are on Crazy Adventures. Yep. And I liked the mix of setting up the universe in this set of episodes. Yes. And just doing episodic little fun things that you can do. This is a very much a, a 
season full of bottle shows. Yes. Everything is very self-contained. It doesn't seem like it's part of a bigger story yet. Though though I wouldn't use bottle show because bottle show is a term for using sets and clips already obtained. So politics would be a proper bottle show. I've always referred to that as a clip show. Bottle show is a self-contained, you're, on, you're using like two or three sets, you're on the ship, you don't okay. go anywhere, it nothing happens. On, it depends on who you listen to. There are some people in the career path of film and television that call a bottle show a one that does not cost you anything. That it's, it's contained within a bottle. So, okay. but anyway... No, that's fine. Um, Doesn't matter. There's a lot of self-contained shows where they go to a world, we deal with a little problem, everyone learns a lesson, and then we go home. And Emancipation is one of these. Broken Divide is one of these. But I think they were very clever with this because, like, Emancipation was a bottle show or whatever. Let's just call it a bottle show for argument's sake. Okay. Emancipation was... A bottle show, but it also establishes Sam Carter's character and the broader theme of they're going to run into worlds that might not have, you know, women being treated fairly. And I think that's very necessary. Yeah, it's great. They did a lot of what you need to do to establish the characters in all of these bottle shows. We give them a ever-changing set of parameters and we see how they react in any given situation. Right. And... I really loved Emancipation because we get to see Sam kick ass. Oh, I, I mean, Emancipation's probably one of my favorite early season episodes mm-hmm. just because it's so strongly and immediately after the banter back and forth in Children of the Gods between Sam and Jack mm-hmm. uh, about the fact that she's a woman. You can see in Emancipation that she can definitely handle herself and as much of a brain she is and how how much of a genius scientist she is she can also kick ass and yeah. i do love how it's dealt with when they're prepping for that duel at the end jack says to her you know how high has your training gone and she says you know whatever she said level two or three level three level three and he just looks at her and says, you'll be fine and yeah. I, that's just a complete change of attitude yeah which is great because she hasn't really proven herself yet. Although there are a lot of adventures that we haven't seen yet because there's a great quote when Sam first sees them after she's been abducted. She says, what a relief. I've never been so happy to see you guys. And O'Neill says, well, sure you have. Remember the time on P3S595? You drank that stuff that made you take off? And she interrupts and says, we're not getting into that right now. It's like, it's the noodle incident is what it is. We have no idea what that was. And Emancipation is only the second episode and we saw what happened in the first episode. So who knows how many planets they've been to. And I like that. Hi, Ray. Welcome to the call. Death, you know what you forg- you're forgetting what happened in the second episode? Kowalski Emma. died. Yes, I, I was getting there. It's so sad, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> but before we get to that, Ray has joined us. Ray has seen a few episodes of Stargate, and she's yeah, bored. <laughs> My husband was really, really into it while we were dating, and I've seen a few, but... You yeah. should sit down and watch it with him. Let him exchange it with you. Watch the entire thing. Mm-hmm. We started the other day, but then we never got anywhere. <laughs> we just watched episode one. <laughs> it's a long episode. It's a double episode. Yes, it was a long time. But you're started, so continue with that, we recommend. What do you think so far? 
I think it's good. I've seen the movies, too. Where were you when we needed to discuss those a couple weeks ago? Probably moving. Oh, yeah, that. How's the new place? It's pretty nice. Not at all what the reviews said it was? I guess I don't remember if that was the same one or not. (laughs) I looked at so many places. And you're now employed? Am I correct? Technically, I haven't started yet. Congrats. Thanks. Mazel tov. <laughs> okay, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Julia having that low of a voice. <laughs> true. Although I've heard she's been sick this week, so maybe. That's true. It could. It's possible. <laughs> well, hang on a second. Husband's calling. So, yes, Kowalski unfortunately passes away in the second episode, which is the enemy within. And yeah. I think that's... My only real problem with the entire series. I have to agree. Kowalski's a great character. He could have been a good vehicle for some exposition for Jack, because they obviously have known each other a long time. It was sad that he finally got his own command, only to have it all cut short, taken away. I mean, he's never going to see his command. Right. Uh, I, I think, you know, the downward spiral that was his death was really, at the same time, it's heartbreaking when you're a big fan looking back on The Enemy Within, mm-hmm. but watching it all through and having it be the second episode, it really establishes how much of the gold are a threat. It does. Yeah. how scary the situation is mm-hmm. that a second of an accident can kill you. And these aren't guns. This isn't a bomb. This is something that there's no way you can survive at this point. You don't even realize you've been injured. Right. He thought he wrenched his neck. Right. Which, you know, not unreasonable. And, you know, maybe should have gotten treatment for that, but... Yeah, it's just, what is there... I mean, I guess the one redeeming thing... And we can decide if this is a spoiler or not. But the one redeeming thing is the fact that the writers figured out ways to bring him back at later points. This is a sci-fi show. That's not a spoiler to say that they bring people back, I don't think. Was he in there but for the grace of God? I feel like he was. He was. Yeah, it, it was just, I mean... It it was... You know, there. So the, it's not a spoiler because he's back in, later in the season. But the fact that... They killed him, and, you know, that's the price of what war against the gold is, is you're going to lose soldiers to these people. At the same time, it was a great character, and it was too hard to lose him. He had a lot of potential. And I definitely would have wanted to know that backstory of how he knew Jack and who he was. Because you saw a lot of Jack in the movie in the first episode, but you didn't see a lot of Kowalski. because Mm -hmm. He was not the star. Right, exactly. They knew they were going to kill him off in the next episode. Which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. But Yes. Yeah. Stargate Command has basically been under attack ever since they got back. They did a pretty big raid on Chulak. They caused a lot of damage, but we don't necessarily know where these attacks are coming from. Presumably Chulak, but more likely from wherever Apophis and... Amanet and Chlorel went off to. Right. And sadly, Sam's MacGyvered computer system cannot star 69. No. The Stargate. Which is a shame. Yeah, it would, that would actually be really useful if you could star 69 a Stargate. But. Well, this turns into a discussion <laughs> of what symbols light up on the receiving gate. Right. Personally, I think it's the symbols of the receiving gate plus that planet's point of origin. Perhaps. Because I don't think I've ever seen... I think 
that is, it depends on which episode you're watching, because sometimes the inner track is moving when it lights up, and each one lights up individually, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just lights up and the koosh happens. Yeah. That... So I don't think they actually landed on something canon-esque. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. Yes. We'll have to figure that out. Yes. <laughs> Although I guess the problem with it lighting up is on the receiving as you're dialing is with the first few, there's probably hundreds that it matches to. Yeah, and you might not have the symbols on your Stargate that the, whatchamacallit has, the other Stargate has. The the Stargate that's dialing you might not have the right symbols. If it doesn't have the right symbols, how can it dial? No, they all have the same symbols. They don't have the same symbols. Really? I don't know. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out a way to make it, like, work. (laughs) In my head, because it's going to bother me if it doesn't. Well, there's 39 symbols on the gate, but there's only 38 buttons on the DHD. Right. Because, yeah. Or something screwy like that. Yeah. Or there's 39... I don't know. I don't care. We'll discuss it later. This is way too close to your wedding to, to, to get into this. To worry about this. Uh, <laughs> although it's a nice distraction. But basically, we don't know where the attack is coming from because we don't have Star 69, and because the dialing computer is so slow, people from off-world are able to use their push-button phone easier than we're able to use the rotary phone, and they call in again and establish the wormhole and try to send more Jaffa through. Which is a good thing we have that iris. <laughs> and I love how every time the gate activates off-world, they set the auto-destruct for three minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I love Jack's question to Tilk. How long is this going to happen? Because every time the gate dials in, the alarm sound and everyone runs everywhere. And yeah. Well, what I don't get is that they set the auto-destruct at three minutes, but you can hold a Stargate open for 38 minutes. That hasn't been established yet. Oh, it hasn't been established yet. No. Okay. Well, well I mean, it, it's established, but, like, the scientists know about it, but it hasn't been established to General Hammond yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I just love the question. So this iris is going to hold, right? <laughs> And then Tam's like, TikTok. So this iris is going to hold, right? Yeah, she says it's pure titanium, three micrometers from the event horizon. Matter doesn't even get a chance to fully reintegrate. So it's going to (laughs) hold. Jack likes to pretend that he doesn't understand things, which is disproven in singularity. Yes. He's very good. the accretion disk. Well, that's just because he knows about astronomy. This is true. He's able to talk intelligently about about a couple of things. Yes. The gate room is officially named the embarkation room, but nobody ever calls it that. They just call it the gate room. Well, embarkation room is very awkward to say. Mm Mm-hmm. It's an extra two syllables. Yep. Three extra syllables. Plus, who says, I'm going to embark on something (laughs) these days? In fact, yeah, because gate became a verb throughout the series. Yes. We're going to go gate somewhere. It says... So there was, I mean, there was a lot of establishment. Like, Brief Candle introduced nanites. Cold Lazarus introduced that there were other aliens that the gold had destroyed. And Mm -hmm. the whole concept that life forms could be energy-based and didn't have to be corporeal. Which is very cool. Which is, yeah, very... I, I feel like a lot of people have said to me that they love Stargate, but they always felt like season one was hard to get through. And looking back on it and analyzing it, I understand that because there's, as 
Death has pointed out, there's a lot of bottle shows that don't really have to do anything with one another. But all these shows make sense later. Yes. And that's what so. I do like about the series, is that they draw on a lot of their previous threads. My favorite episode, probably, of this season is The Broca Divide. Broca Divide is a great one. They get a set of... There's only one set of symbols available from four that are known. Mm-hmm. It's based on a binary code. Yep. And they go, and it's completely dark there. Mm-hmm. And I have they- a question. Why doesn't the MALP have night vision goggles? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. Well, eventually it gets infrared. Eventually, yeah, which is good. I like the introduction here of the SG-3 Marines. We're branching out from the Air Force, being solely involved in this. And we meet Colonel Makepeace, who is the epitome of the word jarhead. Yeah. I like him, from what we see so far, but he's a jarhead. Yes, totally. But you know what? Sometimes you need him. (laughs) Oh, you totally need the jarheads. They're fun. And we see that this world of savages and rape and survival of the fittest and very much caveman society. Well, there's two parts of the society. There are the touched and the untouched. Well, that's what we've seen as we go through. But yeah, I was just getting to that, the the untouched and the land of light. (laughs) (laughs) Which is basically our version of there's the plain states and the Rockies. I I mean, it's just... (laughs) They're two, you know, it's a forest versus a valley. Mm hmm. I don't understand the geology of this world at all, but that's fine. Yeah. I was just about to say it's kind of strange how the land of light is always light and there's, it's always night in the uh, forest. It's kind of odd, but. I was wondering about that. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But they find this civilization here and, and they think they're gods, and this is the one based on the Minoan culture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel says, oh, we should get used to get being treated like gods. The gold haven't been seen here in a generation. And Jack says, well, we're not interested in this. And they go to leave. And Yeah, then they come back, and apparently it's catching. Mm-hmm. And I just got to say, the Stargate SG-1 drinking game, you take a drink every time there's an external shot of the mountain or an extra long gate journey to fill time. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually very cl- I've seen worse drinking games with Stargate. That's actually pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because that won't get you drunk off your ass immediately. <laughs> Just over time. Just over time, you know, it'll get you drunk off your ass. Which, you know, over time drunk off your ass isn't as bad as take a shot every time Jack messes up Sam's scientific analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of those are just too easy, and they're designed for watching, like, one or two episodes. Yes. Not when you're sitting down for the entire season. From Marathon. So Johnson's infected, and he's going off, and Tealcaster is strain him, I think, and he says, I would prefer not to hurt this man. <laughs> I love Teal Teal- in, the, in this part of the series. He just has a way of saying things. He's an alien. He doesn't understand our idioms. Well, and, and you know, he thinks our world is... is He gains access to TV, and he, he's shocked at how violent it is. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Then 
who gets infected next? It was... Things start to go nuts. Yes. Yeah, but everything is fine up until Carter goes after O'Neill in the locker yeah, room. Yeah, Sam starts to lose Jack and... <laughs> and that is just awesome and sets up and... the shipping between them for the next ten seasons. <laughs> and this is one thing that I love about Stargate. There was no real shipping war. Some people wanted Sam to get together with Daniel, but for the most part, it was pretty much Sam has to be with Jack, because... Well, there's so much in the first season that makes it obvious. It's established that were circumstances different, they would be together. But because they're both military, because they're in the same chain of command, they can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and I was just going to say, it's established as canon guaranteed fact with the, uh, what was it, uh, there but for the grace of God, where Daniel goes to the other... Yes universe and they're engaged mm-hmm. yes. so it, it literally is were it not for the fact that they were both in the military they would be together it's 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 shown not a contested this is not like the harmonians versus the perigeny yeah you, you don't have to interpret anything <laughs> there's no fight yeah. <laughs> every chance the writers got they they basically wrote in sam likes jack jack likes sam they can't do anything about it <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing Yes, it is. So, I have one last note on the Broca Divide. This is our first trouble with funky organisms, mm-hmm. which is going to become a running theme. And I love the bit where O'Neill tells Fraser to experiment on him. Yeah. Yes, that was a very, a very Jack thing to do. Yes, it was. And when they figure out everything at the end, he's telling Teal'c to let him out, and Teal'c won't do it. You called me Lucy. Well, he, he you know, knocks on the door. Doc, you know, Tilk, let me out. Lucy, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, he, it's like, I, I do not believe you are yourself. You called me Lucy. Uh, although I had a note for the other episode, just how horrible the contamination procedures were in that episode. <laughs> I mean, they're not even wearing gloves when they're working on the people. Yeah. It's just... They got better with time. Yeah, they got a lot better. Yeah. And then we had the First Commandment. First Commandment was great. We see Sam's got a, an old boyfriend here who's causing trouble, thinks he's a god. Jonas? Yes, Jonas Hansen. And he's decided... Well, there were problems. So the, this world... This is the first joke about the trees, too. Yes. They say, huh, there's an awful lot of trees on this world. Looks an awful lot like, you know, Canada. Right. No, it, they, they never actually outright say it looks like Canada. Oh, that, okay, they should though, but... They just keep making jokes about the fact that there are lots of trees, which contradicts Stargate the movie. Yeah. And that's for all the fans that know that they filmed in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And of course there are trees everywhere. Yeah. Well, the explanation is that many Stargate worlds were terraformed by the gold long ago. Yes. That's the canon, the canon explanation. And it's a good explanation. Yeah, it's... We have to get our hands on some of this terraforming technology. Especially now that, you know, the thing with the gold not being a threat anymore. Exactly. Which technically isn't a spoiler, because of course they're not a threat by the end of the series. Of course not. I also love this episode because it's where we first get the line from Jack, does it say Colonel anywhere on my uniform? (laughs) Basically, Uh, he's saying, my orders are exactly that. Orders. They are not suggestions. Well, it's because people keep running off and, you know, didn't he say that right after Daniel took off and decided to do something on his own? I think he did. It it was close to that. That was in Children of the Gods, when they first go to Chulak. No, during First Commandment, Sam runs off, 
Oh yes, right. that's right. She go- then, she goes off to. Yeah, and then Jack admits that that was probably their best bet of getting in without a firefight. And I think afterwards, Daniel goes off and does something else, and that's when Jack says, "Does it say Colonel anywhere on my uniform?" Because no one's following what he says. Yeah, <laughs> they just do what they feel like doing, apparently. So I mean, this is an okay plot. Sam's a human being; she can't shoot Jonas. They're gonna chuck him back through the Stargate. Teal'c smiles in this one. I like that. Yes. <laughs> or try to. <laughs> he tries to. And I love the precise aim that he has with that staff. Yes. There's a reason he was first prime. Uh-huh. He's damn good. And I love the whole concept of why the Stargate teams aren't going to be pretending they're gods. Because this is where it could go. And this is bad. Yeah. yeah. This is not moral. This is not what armed forces are setting out to do. Let's just establish this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Nowhere in our standing orders does it say pretend to be gods. And I can't see Teal'c going along with it if they were going to do that because he's just rebelled against the false gods. Right. And I think they could have gone that way, but that doesn't make for interesting TV. No. Because you want to watch the people that are morally upstanding and better than we are. Right. In some ways. So. So brief candle. Which I think is much more interesting if you know the rest of the series. Yes. Just because this 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 is probably one of the ones that seems most epi- you know, just episodic and it'll never come back. Mm-hmm. But the whole concept of nanites. Yeah, there's quite a few things in here to just take note of and yeah. say, here's a concept being introduced, maybe we'll come and play with this later. Mm-hmm. I've seen this one. <laughs> nice. What did you think of it? I thought, well, it's that one has been a long time, but I thought it was cool because it's like ancient Greece. Yeah. Yeah, Pelops and Jack gets married. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Why do, they, love- why do they always manage to do that? These guys are so genre-savvy, but they don't know not to accept strange food from pretty women. No, oh, this yeah. is just for you. Not for you. Oh, crap. <laughs> I did love the shock of the blonde woman's face when they were trying to explain that there's such thing as a year. Oh, I know. <laughs> What's a year? I really liked the acting by all the extras in this. They seemed genuinely very angry with Pelops and was like, how dare he do this to us? We thought he loved us. They feel just so betrayed. I like that with the nanites, Sam can't figure out how they're doing what they're doing because there has to be some external thing acting on them. Right. And so the way I wrote it in my notes is that the solution is discovered by the power of a crotchety old man. <laughs> because his old man rant prompts the people to destroy the statue and then they find their transmitter. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I did enjoy I that. Also, I also love the, the concept that there are things that Sam can't figure out. Yeah, and I think this is a, a real good place to put that into her character. Yes. Later on, We're- we know she's going to go do amazing things. But right now, she's not all that. No one is all that. She's good. She's probably one of the best. Right. But this is beyond her. The writers did a very good job in keeping them human. These are these people are the best of the best. They're the brightest minds of our generation type of a thing. But at the same time, 
they're still human and dealing with alien technology there's still stuff that they don't know and they can't figure out and sometimes they fail Speaking of failure, Cold Lazarus. <laughs> the only thing I want to throw out on Brief oh, Candle okay. still, it's just one quick point. The gold written language is Linear A, a language we know here on Earth and we have nothing to really correlate it to, mm-hmm. which I think is just an interesting tie-in. Yeah, I definitely liked the fact that the writers made sure that there was Earth-based stuff for almost all of the languages on Stargate SG-1. So there would be some basis for where Daniel can, well, I, you know, there's something related to this on Earth, and I think I can interpret this if a local helps me. You know, that whole thing is, I think, very realistic. And they did a good job of keeping it kind of real, even though it's a sci-fi show and they're traveling through wormholes. Okay, Cold Lazarus. Cold Lazarus. We get the Crystal Doppelganger. This is a really weird episode, but it's good. It's definitely not very action-filled, but it digs real deep into Jack's character. We see the Doppelganger going through Jack's box of stuff. His wedding ring is in there. Pictures of Charlie, a.k.a. Tyler. Which speaks so much to Jack's character. These are the things that he has in his locker at work. Mm -hmm. He doesn't try and put it behind him. He tries to hold on to it. Right. I think this is also a fascinating episode because this is the first time aliens who are a higher form of existence than humans are were wiped out by the gold. Yeah, that's scary. And, and that's, that's a scary fact. And learning how powerful... The, this is more setting up how powerful the gold are, but they did a nice job setting up how powerful the gold are because it does take a very long time for them to beat them. It does. What is also interesting about this episode is that this is Teal'c's first operation in public. Indeed. Oh. <laughs> I had to say it. And we're going to see Teal'c go out in public a few more times throughout the series, and he gets progressively better at it. He learns to wear hats and act somewhat like a human. Somewhat. Okay, a very little bit. Um... <laughs> Hey, uh, he did pretty well in that one episode. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> I like how Death knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so this episode, I mean, the whole point is that Jack's greatest pain is not physical. Right. It's emotional. He's still racked with guilt for what happened to Charlie. It's never going to leave him, and it's just part of who he is. In fact, I think it drives him to mm-hmm. some extent. I think it does. He doesn't want there to be any more Charlies. Right, and that's why he took Skara so hard, mm-hmm. that he was taken by the gold and why he fights for him. because he failed to protect one of his kids. Right, and they're good to bring it up every time Jack interacts with a kid. It's almost like it's brought up again, which, you know, just tugs at your heartstrings a little every time he interacts Every with a time, a whole bunch. You know, he's on this mission and he wants to find a way to save Skara. And right. they find a way that they could do it in episode 7, Thor's Hammer, which is a great episode. Oh, I love this episode. It's fantastic. I, all Goa'uld are taught the symbols of Sumeria, and to go there is death. And every so often, a ghoul gets it in his head to try it. And they never return. And they never return. They're never seen again. Mm-hmm. I love this because this officially starts the why when I went to see the Avengers... Every time Thor was brought up, I kept going, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. Thor, <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> Thor's the be, other guy. 
That movie would be a little bit different if the undisguised Thor was in his place. <laughs> but so much more awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you imagine Thor and Loki? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So, but yeah, basically we kick off the whole Asgard concept. We learn that Sumeria is a protected planet. Thor's hammer is the, also the first time we see an Unas. Yes, Unas. Which is a very interesting race. Yep, they have vast regenerative properties. It's very hard to kill one, even if they don't have a Gould in them. Yep, and we don't see them for a while, but they're a pretty interesting race. They come back, and th- this just goes to what we were talking about. The whole plot of the episode is about introducing the Asgard and saving Share and Skara using Thor's hammer, but they just slip in this little bit about the Unas here. It looks like a throwaway. It looks like, oh, he was the first one, and that's the end of it, and we're never going to see Unas again. Nope, we but will. They're clever. <laughs> they know how to use their threads, which is just great. And there are so many threads in this series that they dropped quite a few, and it didn't really matter. We learned that Earth is Midgard, and so Earth being Midgard is actually not Stargate verse. That's actually yeah, it's, it's Norse legend. I know, so. but it's introduced to the viewer if they didn't know it before. Right. I think very clever technology. Mm-hmm. Also provides the presence of there are races that are good that are out there that are much more advanced than humans are. Yep, and more advanced than the Gould because Sumeria is a protected planet from them. And if they can find the guys who protect planets from the Gould, we want to be friends with them. Mm Mm-hmm. In order to save Teal'c, they have to destroy the hammer and destroy the chances that they have of saving Skara and Share. And also, this is the first time that they messed up and kind of assumed that if they looked in on them every once in a while, they'd be fine. Yeah. Which, you know, you're just sitting there listening to them say, oh, like, we'll just check in every few months. Please, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be a bad situation. <laughs> and they give him the Sagan Institute box saying, if Thor comes back, give this to him for us. Sagan Institute box. I love it. <laughs> and that's about the end of that episode. Okay, well, we're going to say goodbye to Ray. Bye, Ray. Thanks for bye. joining bye. us. Joining us. Yep. <laughs> tell, tell Dan we say <laughs> hi. Okay, not that I could contribute very much, but. <laughs> oh, well, you contributed plenty. All right, have fun. We will. Bye. Bye. And then the Tormented Tantalus. Which is a great, we great. Carson Beckett for the first time. Yes. Paul McGillian plays. Ernest Littlefield. Young Ernest Littlefield. Young Ernest Littlefield. And it turns out that we've done research on the gate before, back in 1945. Well, which we knew. They were trying to use it as... I was curious. They were trying to use it as a weapon, even though they didn't know what it was. They wanted to find out if it was a weapon. (laughs) Send a bomb! That's all... You know. Um... So, but they figure out one particular combination, and they're doing manual dialing, and that's just awful. There's also the fact that it called back to the movie that they call it the Stairway to Heaven and not the Stargate. Yes. So they didn't know if it just killed you when you walked through? The Door to Heaven. Yeah, well, you don't get the sense that they had actually translated it at that point. Well, I think that I think they were just dialing symbols. No, they were just dialing random symbols. 
Oh, I wonder if this combination works. It's like trying to brute force your way into a password. Yeah. So they well, were I, the brute yeah. method. I wonder why they didn't try the symbols on the Abydos symbols on the cartouche. I'm sorry? When they found the gate, they found oh, the, the cartouche yeah. with it. Why didn't they just try those symbols? I don't know. Well, they tried some of them because they were really close to that because this planet, which we will call Heliopolis, is very, very close to Abydos because like three or four of the symbols are the same. Right. Which is why they can dial it without compensating for stellar drift. And so Daniel, is, how this story comes to light is that fact that Daniel is reviewing all the notes that the Pentagon says they have on the tests in 1945. I love that. And he's like, look what I found. They told me they gave me everything. The Pentagon has lost entire countries. <laughs> And it turns yeah. out that they actually did open the gate and send someone through. And in the video, the ropes get cut the that are connecting <laughs> Ernest, because they, they think it's water. So they've got him done up like a diver. And the only thing I can think of is that they just lost power. They ran out of power for the gate. And or that, they uh, expired the 38-minute mark. I don't get the sense that that happened, but okay. that's entirely possible, too. I, I don't get the sense that that videotape ran for 38 minutes, but, you know, maybe the, maybe it did. Maybe they had to... I'm, you know, maybe it did while they were getting Ernest all suited up. Right. I'm sure that took a little while. So that's a possibility, or they ran out of power. But or something surged. Or, or something. Initially, I thought it was just a violation of holding the gate open, but I guess not. There are explanations. <gasps> so we get to see Catherine Langford again, which is great, because we're bringing back the movie-verse. Yay. I don't remember what this is referring to, but I have in my notes, Jack is so sarcastic. Daniel went to talk to Catherine, and I liked the reference that Daniel and Catherine had gotten close after the Stargate mission, because they really didn't get along initially. And then the whole reference of they must have bonded over knowing Daniel and all this stuff and the truth behind what happened because Jack told Catherine what really happened. and No, no, I, I don't think they've bonded quite yet because this is the episode where she finds out that he's back or he's still alive. No, no, this is the episode she finds out he's back and... Then there are several lines where she says, Jack told me that he left you on Abydos, which indicated to me that Jack told her the truth. Right. Because he had to return the necklace to her. And then if you look at Stargate the movie, Jack is very cold to Catherine. Oh, I'm sorry. I... I Never mind, I was mixing up and, like, she was getting close to Daniel. I liked the reference that Daniel and Catherine had gotten close. No, no, no. So, yeah, to to Jack. Yeah, I can... Close to Jack. I I erase all of that re-explanation. Yes, you're totally correct. Because she didn't like that the military took control of the project away from her. Right. And she's kind of being pissy at Hammond, and... Jack just kind of waltzes in and defends her, mm-hmm. which is very, very nice. Yes. Yeah, she, you know, it's not like she started this program. It's not like we're here because of her. So and- the address that they dialed is not on the cartouche that they found in Abydos, and it's proof that the Gould did not build the gate network. This is cool. This is very, very important. Very important. Also, Tilk makes a point here that's very important for later episodes, is that the Gould don't develop their own technology. The Gould merely steal technology. They are scavengers. 
And Ernest is very naked. He cries to be found, and he hugs them, and they're very uncomfortable with being hugged by a naked old guy. And he's not impressed to see Catherine. Not at all. He and Catherine work through some personal stuff. It's very touching. He's whatever that volleyball was and that Tom Hanks shipwrecked movie was. Mm-hmm. He apparently thought up Catherine and became that equivalent. Yeah, he hallucinated her. His mind conjured her up so he wouldn't be alone. He's been there alone since 1945. Yeah. You know, this, is, this is not cool. Which, you know, of course, my thought directly went to, so where did he get food? Well, presumably he developed into a hunter-gatherer. Possibly. That's actually more than probable, since he said there was no one around for miles, so mm-hmm. he clearly has been out. You know, we learn a lot about Ernest. I mean, this this poor guy, I feel so bad for this guy. He got to live happily ever after, though. He did get his happily ever after, which is just great. And, and this is also kind of Daniel's temptation and how big a risk are you willing to take for knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they're taking the risk of being stuck here forever. And now that they have access to ships... Can't they just go back and get the information? Shh. You're, give, <laughs> you're giving away our plot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, hilarity ensues, and because the DHD is smashed, uh, it was like that when Ernest arrived. Not that he had the symbols to get back, right? but you know, maybe he could have figured it out. And... Let's press random buttons. I'm sure by, you know, 50 years he would have gotten back. Yeah, he would have found Earth or, you know, somewhere. Yeah. But it was smashed. It had always been smashed. And that just really sucks. And so there's a whole series of hijinks. We figure out we're going to power the gate with lightning bolts. The whole thing is we got to get out of here before the whole place falls in the ocean. And I approved of the fact that the wormhole was fairly unstable with the lightning bolt energy. Yes. That you can't just randomly be like, okay, we're going to use a lightning bolt because it's storming outside. That's not necessarily a wise idea. It was just used to charge the capacitors. The whole gate is one giant superconductor, as Sam likes right, to tell no. us. It's just, you know, more of a, of a lightning's inconsistent and you won't see them use this again kind of thing, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just that lightning storms are so unpredictable. Yes. The big device down there, we discover that this was a city where the Ancients, the Asgard, the Furling, and the Nox all met and signed the Treaty of the Four Races. Oh, the Furlings. And, <laughs> and each of their languages is on the wall, and we recognize the Asgard language because we've just been to yep. Samaria. Very um, nice tie-in. It's a g- great tie-in. And then there's the device which shows another language, and it's based on the elements. You can see the audience members watching this for the first time going, Oh, we know those people! Yep. We learned about them last week. And I just love this quote, Daniel, before your head explodes. (laughs) Because it would. Yes. And I thought it was very clever, though, communicating through basic elements. Mm -hmm. It's the one thing everybody has in common, regardless of what Mm -hmm. you call it. You know yep. what this is. Yep. I think it was the 146 elements of the periodic table or something. Uh-huh. Nice little. Yeah, and Daniel says something about there's only 113 known to Earth. And Littlefield says something about only... There were 90 when I There, when there were I 90 checked. when I checked. <laughs> 
Which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice nod to scientific progression. Yes. And how young we are. Mm -hmm. We are a very young race. We are such a young race. And actually, in my notes, I have, this is the first instance of Wormhole actually failing. Mm -hmm. We tried to dial back to see if we could, because the DHD fell into the sea, and then the whole place was collapsing, and presumably the gate fell in the sea as well. You made a rhyme. Mm -hmm. I'm the good DHD like that. The DHD fell into the sea. Whee! <laughs> <laughs> so the gate is at the bottom of the ocean, and maybe retrievable someday in yes. a certain fan fiction that Cat <laughs> that, that Kat and I intend to write. Uh, yes. Someday. When, so. when They Shook Hands is done and when Triple D is done, then we will write it. Indeed. Well, that's the fun part about doing this exchange and taking all of these notes is I'm gearing all of my notes towards later fic writing. Yes. I'm doing most of this from memory, by the way. I'm impressed. Someone's seen this series way too many times. Yeah, well, I can tell you episode titles and you know what happened. Yeah, that's basically... I can sometimes do it in reverse, but, I mean, name an episode and I can pretty much be like, oh, and this is this has happened. <laughs> yep, so let's see you do this with episode nine, Bloodlines. Okay, so Bloodlines is all about Tilk's family, which has not been talked about at all. And we first of all, it goes into the backstory of how Jaffa come to be, apparently at the age of basically like your bat mitzvah. You get a little pouch, and you get your first infant gold. And Tilk is very much against his son getting this. I thought they had the pouch anyway. And it was just the implantation. Maybe it's maybe they have the pouch anyway. It's just implantation. Mm -hmm. But Till apparently has not disclosed to the SGC that he has a family because he's worried that they're going to think that he still has ties to the Gould because they have something over him. Mm -hmm. So he could be, like, turned spy for them or something. But now that he knows Jack, kind of, he asks him for help because he wants to stop his son from being implanted. Mm-hmm. And we also meet Tilk's master when he was apprenticing before he was first prime. Mm -hmm. And we meet Tilk's wife, who's mm -hmm. very, very beautiful. And bitchy. And bitchy, <laughs> understandably. Yeah, she, she hasn't had an easy time of it. Kind of goes into what Jaffa life is like. And mm -hmm. it's not as easy as a lot of people who really hate the Jaffa think of Jaffa life. Yeah. We get to see that Teal'c's home, that was a gift from Apophis, has been burned. They call him Shova, which is traitor. Ah. So, I have a question, actually. So, they return to Chulak. Why did they take off their disguises? Because they're stupid, and because the plot says so. <laughs> because the plot says so. Okay. They're at the home. We're looking for the wife, but she's not there. We instead see Master Braytak. For the Who's first time, awesome. Braytac is one of the most awesome characters I have ever seen developed. Uh, I forget what I was watching the other day, but I saw him in it. I was like, "Oh, it's Braytac! It's Braytac!" He's in West Wing. I mean, he's he's in pretty much everything. Like, mm -hmm. He's in West Wing. He's everywhere. And every time I see him in something new, I'm just like, "It's Braytac!" And I, I love how he takes five, things. Go ahead. Sorry, five words sum up Braytac. You are Hammond of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> He takes Jack literally, because Jack likes to talk with his hands, and he's describing Hammond to Braytac, and his baldness, he just, you know, rubs his head, or moves his hand above the top of his head to indicate the baldness. 
So Braytac uses that every time. Uses it to him. You are Hammond of Texas, rubbing his head. <laughs> it's a good thing George is not sensitive about his hair loss, you know? Yeah, that could be, you know, a potential problem. Oh, my the God. The train duty for Jack. Seriously. But Braytac is so literal when Jack says, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. No, the bridge is too well guarded. <laughs> Which is, well, I mean, it, it, to be fair, he doesn't know it's an idiom. No, he doesn't. But it makes for good humor, and the actor is great at delivering those lines. He really is. He's, he's very good at deadpanning, and I love how he tries to take that phrase into his own vocabulary, and he doesn't do it well. <laughs> He doesn't do it right. He's he's just a little bit off. And yeah. And, <laughs> and the, the stuff that others like, oh, we will have to cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, that metaphor doesn't always apply. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the comparison to the grenades. Oh, yeah, this is like way later in the season, but oh my god. It's just the, I'm going to read it now. I have the whole thing. Where is it? Where it's is it? Where so is it? so awesome. Well, that's a grenade. <laughs> Where the hell is it? Is it in this season? It might be. Or is it in the first episode of next season? It might be season two, episode one. Fuck it. But it ties into within the show Serpent's Grasp. It does. I don't I don't care. I'm going to bring it up anyways. And they look down and they're like, okay, so that is the shield generator. How do we get to it? Well, what we must do is climb down several levels and fight our way through the guards and then taking our weapons. And before he's even finished describing what he's doing, Jack has just popped two grenades, dropped them down. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and Braytag's just looking at him. Grenades. <laughs> but yeah. And then of course the later comparison, the Jaffa have a stun grenade. And Braytag just kind of opens the door where there are at least twenty guards guarding all the ships and just kinda of rolls it in and knocks every guard in the entire room out. It, I think it's in the hangar. Mm-hmm. Just, you know. And he says that no, is a grenade. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love how they're just constantly trying to one-up each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he was a great insert, and I think he got pulled back because the actor and RDA, Richard Dean Anderson, work so well together. They have such they, great chemistry. Yeah, they started working off each other, and it just became a thing that each of them kept trying to one-up each other. Mm-hmm. And so, with this sounds back to Bloodlines. This stems to the fact that when Braytac first meets SG-1, he isn't impressed by the humans. No, he's not. No, they're just humans. And mm-hmm. through Bloodlines, Jack kind of proves how skilled he is, Braytac kind of comes to respect SG-1 at least yes. as skilled warriors. But to end Bloodlines and, and what happens is... Shenanigans. Happens. We see a whole bunch of symbiotes. We see... Is this- Sadly, Tilk's son has to take a symbiote because he develops, I think, scarlet fever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no way to get him back to the gate in time, even though there's a cure back on Earth. Yep. So 
So Teal has to give up the give symbiote up the, and, and it destroys him that he has to do this to Ryak. Yeah, I think he's more. He would be. He would be more willing to die than to give Ryak his symbiote. Yeah, if if it could save him, mm-hmm. but it can't, and so he has to very begrudgingly do this, and it's kind of even breaking his wife's heart. So it's yeah, it's kind of a hard plot without a happy ending and. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fun episode, but there's a lot of serious, serious stuff in there. And uh, Sam and Dan gun down the larval wolves. Mm -hmm. Sam isn't willing to do it, but Daniel's like, screw this, we can't let them. That was a very vulnerable moment. They show that even though their enemy is horrible and unequivocally evil, there's a bit of, I guess, karma for for them that... Like they'd destroy it, and so they weren't able to just go back, grab another one to do right. testing on. Yeah. It's also the fact that Sam voices doubt in killing these infant ghouls kind of shows that it's the rule that is unwritten for all writers, but everyone follows except for George Lucas in episode three of Star Wars, and that is you do not kill kids, no mm. matter who they are, because that's just mean. <laughs> And I liked the fact that Sam kind of questions Daniel in that moment. And Daniel isn't even thinking clearly. He's definitely thinking about his wife. He knows each and every one of these larval gould is going to grow up and take a host someday. You know, it's it's definitely a morally ambiguous moment. And it's one that they faced on. And I applaud them for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the characters are very human, very flawed. And you have trouble faulting Daniel for doing what he did. Oh, this is one of those episodes that you sit there and you question, well, if I were in his position, would I do the same thing? And I probably would, to Mm -hmm. be perfectly honest. Yeah, same here. I think I would, too. Yay, consensus. Consensus. Moving on. Episode 10, Fire and Water. Daniel dies. Daniel dies. (laughs) Again. Yes. Yes. Daniel dies two more times in this season alone. So we're dealing with mineral reports from Offworld, and SG-1 unexpectedly returns, and Daniel's gone in fire. And And they're all drenched with water, Mm -hmm. and... And everyone in shock, and they're like, he's gone, he's gone in fire, and and the next thing we see is the funeral service, and this always makes me tear up. The folded flag, Jack's speech, taps, the wreath through the gate, Hammond's speech... It just yanks on your heartstrings. Daniel, to what we know so far in this plotline, because of course later on we figure out that he's alive, but watching this episode, if you're watching the episodes in order, Daniel's wife is taken and he's going like, I'm going to find her and I'm going to avenge her and I'm going to kill all the ghouls that I can, and then he's just dead. Yeah. You're kind of sitting there going... What is this series getting into? Like, what's going on? Well, it happened off-screen, so you knew it was going to be a something. Yeah, didn't know what what it was. No. And it took a long time for them to get into that. Yes, it really did. It was a little bit too long, but... It was just long enough to make you think, is he really dead? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. For those of you watching at home... The count of Daniel dying is one of those things that I really enjoy counting, so we'll keep you updated on how many times Daniel dies in this series. He dies a lot. He really does. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, if you turn to the only, the only think he's dead. Mm -hmm. We find out he's alive, and then when we get back from commercial, we uh, discover that they are having the wake. Doesn't understand what a wake is. No, so they have to explain it to him. I love Teal'c's hat. (laughs) I think the hat has stayed with Teal'c. I think it's a different hat every so often, but in this one it's like a white or light tan straw type of hat, I think. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's a good hat. Jack's pouring a beer and bubbles cause flashback and he smashes Hammond's car window with his hockey stick and <laughs> I love how Hammond doesn't even blink. He doesn't. He's just something on your mind, Jack. Although, uh, back with Teal's hat, it's just kind of, I think it's a missed opportunity that he never had Jane's hat. Oh. I don't know if he could pull it off, though. I don't think yeah. he could. I mean, maybe but, later, like, maybe in like season nine or ten, he could pull it off. But Christopher Judge is a badass, but I don't think he could pull off that hat. Yeah, there, there's not many people who can. That's true. I mean, there, there are two ways that. Oh, it's the Ron Weasley or the Jane. Yeah, something about the hat just brings it out of people. You know, that angers them somehow. Yeah, or Ron Weasley makes them look like a four-year-old. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ron is a four-year-old mentally. And then there's the question of the hour. What fate Amaroka? <laughs> there was a Star Trek episode. Uh, hang on, I need, I need, continue. I need to get a shot. <laughs> there was a Star Trek episode where the race, and I forget the name of that episode because I saw it so long ago, but it was where the alien race only spoke in idioms. English, but it wasn't any English that anybody could understand because they had to tell a story for them to understand the idiom. And so this kind of reminded me of that, of this alien does not know English perfectly, probably because it's been millennia since he's talked to anybody. Well, did you get the sense that he was one of the last of his people, or is that there's... Well, he was the last one. Ah. See, when they were talking about our people and your people being friends at the end, it didn't seem like he was the only one. Possibly. I've got to agree with Kat a little bit, because he's spent the last, what, 4,000 years... Looking for his wife? Mm -hmm. His mate. You'd think that, like, if there was... Someone else, like, maybe a, his, you'd think at least his family wouldn't let him go on with that for 4,000 years. Or there would be someone with him trying to explain this. But this was also very interesting because this is the first example that the Goulds did not just take over Earth cultures within Egyptian mythology. It's right. also biblical mythology that mm-hmm. the Goulds have tied into. So this was about Babylon. Yes. So it was very, it was it was very refreshing just to not have it all be about Egyptian mythology, and it seemed like Daniel already knew it that mm-hmm. there were you know, that this was not a big surprise. But it was certainly a big surprise to me the first time I saw. It. I don't remember what I thought the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I questioned it or not. Mm-hmm. I didn't question it. It was just more of a like, oh, okay, that's cool. Ooh, interesting. Well, we've already seen that with the Norse. And, and the Asgard. Right, in Brief Candle, because they were playing Roman gods, or Greek gods and not Egyptian gods. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just, and I try not to bring my faith into this, but being raised a Christian, it's kind of a tie-in that, you know, when you're a little kid and you're watching the show and, oh, Babylon, I know that name, I learned it in Sunday school. You know, so it, it kind of 
brings you in a little more of buying into the reality. Discussing what to do with all of Daniel's stuff. And they say, maybe give it to a museum. Or start one. <laughs> Opens the journal that he was writing in in the movie. And she quotes the, I'm never going to get paid quotes. Yeah, which is wrong because he did that on an audio recording. Right. But whatever. Oh, well. I don't care. It's great. Transcribe the magic get back or, you know, whatever. Mm, perhaps. But one thing that I didn't buy is these things were big and thick. And I didn't buy that Daniel would fill an entire journal for each world that they were on. Maybe he doesn't fill them for each world he's on, but he has a different one for each world. And he uses the spare paper for calculations or making notes and maps and all of this sorts of stuff. But but I could buy into that. Good, because it's all I got. (laughs) So, a lot of stuff. And it makes you wonder what happened to his stuff when he lived on Abydos for a year. He didn't have any stuff when he lived on Abydos for a year. So this is all acquired in the last six months? Everything he owned was in those two little bags. Well, that's awkward. That's a lot of stuff in six months. I mean, damn. I couldn't tell you. But I did like the ancient Egyptian board game. And Tilk remembers that he and Daniel played once. And, you know, in my mind of, of headcanon, it, you know, I, I kind of considered maybe they made it like a weekly game, <laughs> like a chess match. Maybe. I would believe that. I tend to think Daniel spent a lot of time with Tilk learning the Gould languages. And the culture, because he is an archaeologist mm-hmm. and anthropologist and is interested in that stuff. And yeah. would probably just want to know everything. Everything. <laughs> as much as possible. I offer my knowledge of the Goa world freely. I pledge my loyalty to this world. Mm-hmm. So, shall we move on to episode 11? The Knox. The Knox. Neil died. Uh, Bob, you got something to say? Uh, one last note I have for uh, Fire and Water is it's the uh, first appearance of the Pinlight of Doom. I don't remember if it's actually like a big thing in canon, but I know there's a lot of fanfics where it's one of the few things that O'Neill is afraid of. Dr. Frazier's little pen light. Okay, I was like, which character's pen light of doom? Oh, Dr. Frazier! <laughs> yes. In fact, That's it. it only really becomes the pen light of doom until Window of Opportunity. Oh, Window of Opportunity. <laughs> How much I love it. Such a series. <laughs> Seems like it could have an entire podcast all to itself. Do a podcast on Window of Opportunity. <laughs> Maybe we will. Who knows? So, the Nox. And this is where we learn another tie-in to... Torment of uh, Tantalus. Hammer and Torment of Tantalus is we get to meet another race. Yes. And the Nox. And they look very ashen-faced, and they have, you know, big frizzy hair, and look like they have sticks and things in them. Mm-hmm. They look like fairies, or pixies, or Hermione, and... <laughs> I don't think Hermione is a Nox. No, but, but they have the same frizzy hair. And they walk barefoot through the woods. Yep. And they heal dead people. Yep. They don't believe in weapons. Oprah, they're, they're very pacifist. They have the power of invisibility, and they use it to protect themselves and the creatures of the forest. They live a very long time, because Ofer is 432 years old. Yep. And I love how he has to think about it in, like, birth to earth years, so... And he does it quickly, in his head. Yes. So I guess time must not matter much to these people. 
No, I can't imagine it would. 400 years, you know, I don't think time would matter much. No. And who knows, maybe he's... Well, Oper is the oldest one? Yes. Okay, but he doesn't look all that old. No, he looks like a middle-aged man. Yeah, so maybe he's got another 300 years to go. Right. There's lots of... A lot can get done in 300 years. And they get into this because the secretary of Air Force, I believe... Was it a secretary? I thought it was a senator. Might have been a senator. No, I think it was a secretary, because senators don't get involved until Kinsey. In my note, I say a senator. Okay, it was a senator. I can't remember. (laughs) I'm doing this from memory. That's okay. (laughs) Um, Quick, to the website. But he's upset, I guess, at Stargate Command, because they haven't bought anything substantial in, in that they haven't found a superior race yet and brought back technology. And Jack points out that people with superior technology tend not to want to share it with people who don't have that technology. And Tilk is just like, well, what do you want? Because I have a list of things in my head that could you probably be using. And the senator says, well, what do you know about? And Tilk says, well, there's a race of hummingbird or whatever that can render itself invisible. And the gold have been after this thing for years and nobody's caught it. So the senator's just like, you have to go through the gate and get that, because I want that. <laughs> so they get the gate. And they run into Apothis. And Daniel's like, let's capture Apothis, because if we capture Apothis, then we can get Sharae back. And they're not really too pleased on this whole idea, but they kind of go with it. And Apothis ends up killing all of them. But SG-1 is able to kill all his guards, or most of his guards... And then Apothis manages to grab a staff weapon from one of his other guards and just kills all SG-1. So that's the end of the first act. Yes. <laughs> that's how we meet the Nox. Hooray for the Nox. Save them. And it turns out that the bird isn't what renders itself invisible. It's the Nox that is rendering it invisible. Mm-hmm. And I do love what the knock say to SG-1 before they go home, and that is... Oh, wait, no. This, this, in the middle of the episode, they say that the very young do not always listen. <laughs> the very young do not always do as they are told. <laughs> which is just a refrain throughout the episode and in later episodes, too. Later episodes where they go back to the, the very young do not always do what they're told, and it's like, eh. <laughs> and as we teach us 12-year-olds, it's very true. Never told. Yep. The Nox are very tolerant of SG-1 to a point, and after that, no, sorry, you have to leave now. Yep. You have to leave. And, you know, through all the various hijinks with you know, Shackle and quest to bring things back to life and ambushing during the ceremonies and whatnot, basically, O'Neill is upset that, okay, the Nox are going to bury the gate, but then they'll come in spacecraft to destroy you, and then we get to see that the Nox are not as primitive as they seem. They have a big floating city, and... You know, I I love the tie-in that there's a superior race that can be the higher moral authority to the viewer, while the humans of Earth are still very human and want to kill Shackle, the Nox is kind of like, we're not going to kill him. Mm-hmm. We don't kill, you know, other ways around killing. It's very sad that the Nox are going to bury their gate after the Tauri go home. And he says, we hope that one day you will learn that your way is not the only way. Mm-hmm. And 
As one has learned their lesson. Yes. It's just like that wonderful tie-in later when we're dealing with the Tolans. And Lia says to Daniel, your race has learned nothing, but you have. Yes. That's a start. I think Enigma is really when we see the Nexus power, because taking away an entire gate room filled with guys aiming guns. Mm-hmm. All the guns disappear. Well, look, you know, she looks at them and the guns disappear. And just A, a very cool effect. Mm-hmm. And B, very telling. And the fact that Locke ate without needing a DHG. Yeah. She doesn't use a wrist device or anything. She just closes her eyes and boom, the gate opens. And she's able to control it so much that there's no big whoosh. It just comes into yep. being. She just creates the event horizon and suddenly there's a wormhole connected. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So that's that's does anyone have anything else to say on the Nox? I don't think so. I mean not now. So next we have Hathor. Hathor, uh, which is hard to really judge one way or the other because officially it's looked down upon, but I really enjoyed it. I will say Hathor is the only system lord or lady who scares me. Yes. She's power. She's a queen. Yeah. It's a good thing she didn't hook up with Apophis. That would have been bad. (laughs) Oh, man. But, you know, she's got... I, I, I kind of wonder where her power comes from, her seduction. It's very strange. She has this ability to control men's minds with her breath, yep. which is, you know, not magic. It's just some weird bioweapon. And now I'm th- all, all I'm thinking is, what's your seduction style? <laughs> <laughs> She's an absolute control, but so uh, she, ta- she almost takes over Earth. Mm-hmm. She does really well because they're not ready for her. Comes damn close. Yep. Only the only reason why they were saved was because mm-hmm. women were allowed into the program. Yes, the and women did awesome. Because the women were immune to her advances. Mm-hmm. Well, she also played it really smooth. She wasn't confrontational. She said she was very happy to learn that Ra was dead. She said she wanted to work with them and help them, and all the while taking control. Right. She was very subtle and very sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. She's essentially the queen bee of the gold, the mother of all pharaohs. She talks about the code of life, which is incorporated into the larval gold she makes to help the symbiosis easier. She's the wife and mother of Ra, which is sick. Yep. <laughs> but that's just the kind of lady that she is. And I love the comment at the at the end once they've come out of it. There's a lot of DNA in whatever that tank is. Yeah. And Daniel says, a lot of that's going to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looks at him. Well, I just love how the ladies seduce the guards. And they're like, what? We're not trained for this. We're trained to use our surroundings and everything available to us to accomplish our mission. Well, I suppose. (laughs) And they do it, and they're like, hey, guys. (laughs) And it's not, like, skilled flirting. No, it's not. Come here, soldier. (laughs) Well, that's what makes it even funnier, I think. Oh, yeah, it's it's hilarious. It's just... It's- and they knock him out, and afterwards, they're like, you feel like a woman? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, my. It's a great episode. I feel the urge to watch it again now. I, I admit, it's it's not my favorite, but that's... 
No, Mo- but it's still funny. You with the crown of marble. <laughs> yes, you. That was that was really, I, the writing of it was excellent. It just Hathor kind of freaks me out. She's scary. Yeah. Although I, I will note, you ever notice how we can't manage to keep our hands on a sarcophagus? Yeah, it's kind of good. It's really kind of annoying. Because Jack almost gets turned into a Jaffa. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really weird. She instantly modifies him to have a pouch and whatnot. See, this is why she freaks me out. This is why I don't like her. <laughs> I used to, like when I so when I was young and I first saw this, that gave me nightmares. Really? Yes. Because in Stargate, being a Jaffa, you're forced to serve the bad guys because you're basically reliant on them for infant golds. The, the fact that someone can instantly turn you into a Jaffa is terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank goodness not all of them can do it. Do you think it's just the queen, or do you think it's that technology that she has? or The technology that she has. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not going to bring that up in the fic, because I, <laughs> it freaks me. Like, that actually, honestly, like that's the one thing that freaks me out about this series that I don't tend to land on too much, because it's just... It squicks me out. Duly noted. Bob, got anything to say about Hathor? Uh, not really. Episode 13, Korai. And I love this episode strictly on the fact that Tilk has done some bad shit. Yes. And it's well, been pretty much ignored until now. We saw what he was doing while he was serving Apophis, but we'd barely scratched the surface. Right. And, and I love the fact that they don't wait too long to address the fact that there are going to be worlds where people will recognize him and not necessarily accept him as a changed man just by Jack's word. Right. And I was curious, though. So he took his helmet down on some worlds he was on? Apparently. Apparently. So. Oh, well. Oh, well. So he's charged with crimes that he committed while serving Apophis, and the local language is a combination of Greek and Latin, and Daniel finds that interesting. The two root languages are together, and Teal just says, I'm not going to run away, I'm not going to let you break me out, I'm going to stand trial, because I did these things that they're accusing me of. Which I think is awesome to see kind of that kind of character of Mm -hmm. Teal. He's ready to die for what he did. He feels horrible for what he did. He's ready to atone for his sins. And they are legion. And he can only die but once. Mm -hmm. And I love that Tilk very calmly accepts the fact that what he's doing now cannot make up for what he did in the past. And that's very... Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, if we still had the sarcophagus, we could have let them kill him, and then we just take his body back, and we put him in the sarcophagus, and we never go back to that world, and everything's fine. But we can't do that. And that's precisely why they never let him hang on to it, because then someone dies, and we can just bring him back home and Mm -hmm. revive him. Right. Now, is your opinion on the sarcophagus that it only causes personality changes if you use it when you're in good health, and that if you're injured or dead, it'll just repair the damage? Yes. Good to know. Yeah, I guess. Good to know. This episode has the great line, Colonel, the United States is not in the business of interfering in other people's affairs. (laughs) Since when, sir? (laughs) 
but I, I do like the simple fact of the truth that the United States government doesn't have any qualms about just letting Tilk sacrifice himself mm-hmm. because he's not an American citizen. It's not even an Earth citizen. Yeah, and it's it's this moment of these three people care for him deeply, but no one out of Stargate Command even knows he exists. Mm-hmm. So the American government can do this in the hopes of diplomacy with the, these people, because first of all, Tilk did it, and yeah, the, the, I yeah. think that's definitely coloring a lot of inaction here. Yeah. The fact that he is guilty, and they really don't want to stick their necks out. For him. And secondly, it's not like anybody from SG-1 can go to the papers and be like, well, the American government let our friend die. (laughs) Yeah, no. Then they'd just be court-martialed, or put in prison. Mm -hmm. For treason. Can't court-martial Daniel. No, but you can arrest him. Yeah, well, he signed the non-disclosure agreement. Right. Damn it. (laughs) So, which also... Yeah, we, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I was fascinated by it from my criminal justice background. Yes. And put this completely different court system into this alien world because no two court systems are going to be alike. There mm-hmm. are going to be similarities. Every person who's charged is going to have a representative of some kind. But the way things are done are going to be completely different. All right, I'm told that there was a problem with the sound for this part, so I'm just going to briefly explain the difference between the American court system and many court systems throughout history that an alien planet would be based on should the ghoul have taken them and and transplanted them on another world. The American court system is singular in its belief from the start that the prosecution has to prove a defendant's guilt and the defense is innocent until proven guilty. A lot of other court systems have it set up so that the defense has to prove that they are innocent. So, for instance, the British system, there's no such thing as pleading the fifth. Because they have to prove their innocence, it's within their best interests to put forth as much information as possible so that a jury or a judge would rule that they were innocent of the crime. So anyway, that's just the point that I was trying to make with the core eye, is that it's not out of the realm of possibility that someone would accuse Tilk of being a murderer, and everyone assuming that Tilk was a murderer unless SG-1 could prove that Tilk was innocent. So the fact that they had a very unique court system on this world made me very happy from my criminal justice point you know stands up i enjoyed it a lot i like the idea that only the victim has the right to say what the appropriate punishment is right which is in our mindset completely biased and would never happen right because Uh, you're making an emotional judgment right and not a logical one Mm -hmm. Um, but hey guess what that's how their court system works and tough shit you know? yep. And it apparently works pretty well for him. Yeah, it, I mean, it works out in the end because this is a TV show, but... It, well, at the same time, would you be as apt to commit a crime and injure someone if you knew that the injured party was the one who got to decide what happened to you? Yes. No, no that, I mean, it's, it's definitely a motivator. Mm-hmm. And probably a deterrent to some degree. But as far as this episode goes, yeah. a little convenient. 
Mm-hmm. It's a TV show. It's a TV show. It's good. Singularity? Oh, Cassie. I love Cassie. Cassie's great. I love Sam in this episode. I love how helpless she appears when Cassie has her first attack. For all her brains, she's not a know-it-all. When it comes to medicine and stuff, she really doesn't know what to do. Yeah, and this was one of her few moments where she gets to be kind of a girl. Yep. And have a bit of a maternal instinct toward Mm -hmm. Cassie. Sensitive, motherly. I like how when they first find her, she says, Tilk, show her your face so she won't be scared. And of course, you as the viewer going, yeah, she's not going to be scared by Jaffa. Yeah, that, well, Tilk's smile. No one's scared by that. (laughs) That's not frightening. So there were definitely a lot of clever moments. I liked the fact that not even Janet... I love Janet's character in this little arc because she's very much willing to admit firsthand, I have no idea what I'm dealing with. Yep. And neither would anyone else. Right. Just, you know, there's this virus that exists on another world that brought back here and, you know, we don't know what it is, but it does. The gold are behind it all. The gold just basically killed everyone in a bioterrorist attack and we don't know what the virus did. Everyone's just dead. So, it's, I mean, it's definitely... Mm -hmm. So they're completely evil. They wiped out everybody except this little girl, and they put a bomb in her. Yep. That's sick. Oh, near tea. Near tea, near tea, near tea. So, you know, and we get to see Sam cry and her self-sacrifice, because she's willing to die herself rather than leave this child to face this alone. I enjoyed seeing Sam break down. She's tough as nails, but she's still human. Right, yeah, it's, and it would be very hard for to leave a kid down there. Yeah, it'd be hard for anybody. Right. I mean, I can't believe she got in the elevator at all. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And I kind of like that Sam only figures it out once she's completely heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why she went back down, is that she had it half figured out. That nah, is- I don't cool. think she did. Okay. I think she just couldn't bear it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's up for interpretation if you want, but yeah. it's I, just I, my... It's, I, and I respect that, and I'm going to let you feel free and go ahead and think that that's your headcanon. But my headcanon is that she kind of figured out there was at least a 50-50 shot that what happened was what was going to happen. This includes the weaponization of Naquada and how if Cassie went through the gate again, it would blow up, which would destroy the SGC. Yep. Which would by the way. <laughs> it would be very bad. Very, very bad. And it also kind of, along with Hathor, kind of starts to establish Sam and Janet having a relationship that Sam doesn't have with the guys on her team. Right. Because they have girl time. Yeah, they have girl time. I'm sure they go off and they have girly drinks like Cosmos and kind of gossip about the boys of the SGC. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. They talk about I the only my my favorite scene in this episode is when Jack explains to Cassie that an Earth rule is that every kid has to have a dog. <laughs> she takes it very seriously. Well, I will try to live up to this responsibility. <laughs> no, she's questioning Sam on her quote unquote backstory. <laughs> she's she's going. So I'm from a place called Toronto. <laughs> Like, what are those? And Sam's like, oh, well, those are swings. We never had any of those in 
Toronto. <laughs> oh, boots. You just imagine her going on a playground and being like, oh, that's, a, that's called a tire swing? We've never had those in Toronto. <laughs> All these school children are going to have a very warped idea of what Toronto is like. Yeah. Toronto's this backward place to these kids. <laughs> so, I, I did like that. Yeah, it's good that's- stuff. Is, is figuring out what's in Cassie and then figuring out that Cassie's not going to die. And mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the plot and then there's a lot of character moments as they deal with the plot. It just Every episode that I see, I like these characters more. Yeah, it's definitely by this point I was kind of done with the characters. And it took a while for once it got into arcs, I really got hooked on the series, but by mm-hmm. this point on the characters. Yep. Enigma! Enigma! The Tolan, the first meeting with the Tolan. We come out of the gate, and the volcano's blowing up, and ash is falling, and there's a whole bunch of people on the ground. Some of them are dead, some of them are dying. We rescue them, or so we think, and... Stupid, stupid, stupid. What? Stupid, stupid, stupid. (laughs) Yeah, well, we are very primitive. We are, we're stupid. (laughs) Although, you've got to wonder, with all their advanced technology, you have to wonder why they didn't think to bring a helmet with a nice air source. Well, they missed And then they said death might be an impassable challenge for you guys, but that's not necessarily true for us. Mm-hmm. So, the Knox, you know, have a way to counter death. At the same time, though, they were, they were dead. A lot of them. They were real close to it. They were going to get buried by ash and lava. And I don't care how advanced you are, you get covered with lava, you're going to have a bad time. You're pretty then. Okay, that was a bad joke. I didn't even hear it, because the line cut out. Pretty cooked by then. Uh-huh. <laughs> have I been cu- cutting out? A little bit, actually. Sorry? Uh, I don't know what the problem is. That's better. But yeah, I thought... The Tolan were very interesting. There were a lot of inserts of geeky jokes, like Schrodinger the cat. Yes. I love the interaction that she has with Nareem. Yes. Thus, starting her relationships with boys from other planets. Yes. We learned that there haven't been any birds or animals on Tolan for quite, quite some time. We've learned that they have licked quantum physics, calling it elementary. <laughs> which is just wow. I, I thought what it was was that they lumped it in with all those other theories that were interesting but not quite right. Right, yeah. The, you know, they apparently were not doing. doing yeah, it's, it's, he uses the word misconceptions, which I think is just great. I like their arrogance. I like the, the arrogance of the Tolan and just. The knots have this very passive kind of, hey, you're over there, that's cool, kind of an attitude toward Earth. And the Tolan are very, like, you are beneath us. Don't yeah, care. Very no. condescending. They call us primitive. Instead of young. Instead of young. But Daniel actually makes that point at one point. He's like, yeah, they called us young, which is about the same thing as primitive, I guess. Doesn't sound quite so mean, though. But I like that Daniel is willing to help them. Yes. While the humans are very young, we still have... Potential. Potential. And, and we, decency. Yes. We have morals. Yeah, because 
we're very interested in their technology because it has no circuitry, no moving parts that we can tell. Litter things, so listeners keep that in mind. It turns out to be phase-shifting technology, which is awesome. But and, floor, and this is always the question is, with all this phase-shifting technology and later on shifting dimensions, why don't they pass to the floor? Although it's strange, like in the video, like when they activate it, it seems like it's affecting the wall and it, like it's changing the wall so they can walk through it rather than that is affecting true. them so they can walk through the wall. Right. Like the wall bends. It does. And they walk through. That's a good so point. I guess, so I guess that would be why they don't just fall down. Yeah, maybe they're changing the molecules of the wall so they can pass through it. I like that a lot better. Good explanation. And in the discussion of their technology, we hear the story of Sarita, which was a neighboring planet to Tolan. The Tolan provided them with unlimited productive energy, and they used it to make war. Yep. Very, very bad. Although, like, since... I think they said that that caused, like, them destroying themselves with that is what caused the planet Tolan to like shift out of its orbit and that's why they had to be rescued. That's correct. Yeah, and so just have to wonder how much different things would be if they had started the gate program a few years earlier and they met the Tolan before all this happened. They did, oh yeah, my goodness. They destroyed themselves. That would be intriguing. That's a great idea for a story. I'm not writing. I'm not writing it either, but that's... I don't have to do, but... Uh, any- <laughs> If fan of Stargate and think, you know, wants to take this plot by, feel free to run with it. Yep, absolutely. Let's see. This is is this the first time we meet Colonel Mayborn? Yes. With the NID. Oh, the NID. It's very, very important again. Basically, they want to take the Tolans and put them to work coming up with weapons and technology and defense and so forth. Basically, uh... Imprison them. Or enslave them. Yep forced intellectual labor and Daniel is pissed at the president because he voted for him and he's doing this sort of bullshit. Uh, yeah. I kind of I kind of like that the vague princess to the president without there actually being a president. Yeah. yeah they they don't ever say anything close to a name or anything until it's time to elect a new president. Yep. Very careful. Mm-hmm. They're, well, I mean, and it's a, they, they're very careful to be in a completely different universe, and the commentary is later on, they'll talk about how um, Senator Kinsey, who we meet in politics, they're very careful to not list his party. So he could be a Democrat or a Republican. Do they list his state? I don't think... I, I don't think they do. They, they, he's, he's just a senator. Yeah, Senator Kinsey. Oh, let's look up Senator Kinsey here now. I'm, now I'm just, really curious. You know, they're, but they're very, very careful to not say he's a Republican or he's a Democrat because mm-hmm. they set out intentionally being ambiguous for the politics, which I really kind of like because, yeah. you know, both sides can be corrupted by this stuff. Yeah. Both sides cannot trust this stuff. It's yeah. bad stuff. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. Senator Kennedy has a point <laughs> in politics. Okay, he's the senator for Indiana. Which but we we don't know what party he is. He's probably a... Because Indiana is a red state, but he could be a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Massachusetts. We have Scott Brown. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's... Could be one. If it was from Illinois, we have had Republican senators before, so... Mm-hmm. But the NID is very important. Yeah, they're going to cause trouble later on. 
my gosh, there was such trouble with that. <laughs> Polarity love- ensues. They try to take him anyway. They send a secret message to the Knox. Lia shows up, saves the day, says the Tolans are more than welcome to go with the Knox. And we skipped over this, but Earth was offering to relocate the Tolans just about anywhere because the new homeworld doesn't have a Stargate. And they go to all of these other places. They go back to the Land of Light. They go here, they go there, and they say, you know, you'd be more than welcome amongst us. But you don't understand. They're even more primitive than you are. (laughs) I do kind of love how arrogant the United States is in all these. I think the only time where they're not arrogant about the gold and what challenges they out in the universe is there but for the grace of God. And the whole fact that we really can't be bothered... If we really can't be bothered to check in on the people from Thor's hammer every few months, then think about it from the Tolan's perspective kind of thing. I like the Tolan. I mean, they're, I the Tolan. you can understand why... They feel the way they do, because they've seen what happens when they share their technology. They have empirical evidence. So I would say that evidence is not statistically significant, because they've only done it once. I think once is enough. I think once is enough. I'm just, you know, pointing out... It, it's at the very least, be very, 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 very cautious about who they share with and make sure you really know them first. I'm just kidding, this is not a scientific study. No, it's not a scientific study. There's no control. <laughs> so, I'm feeling, I don't know. Silly. That's okay. <laughs> so, do you want to go on to Tin Man? Come try-a! Come try-a! <laughs> uh, uh, I love him. He's fun. <laughs> this is just a great Great, great episode. I mean, if you think about it, it was well-timed because the last four episodes are pretty heavy. The previous four episodes were pretty heavy. You need an episodic kind of comedy. And this does it very well. We go to this planet. There's non-go-old technology there, possibly more advanced than Earth's. No, no, the episode starts with SG-1 coming back from this planet. Right, right, right. Okay. No, maybe... Ah, too many episodes. Yeah. Oh, they went. So they went. They went to the. They went to the episode. They, uh, sorry, they went to the planet. There was a gold message that Tilk interpreted to mean basically everyone's dead here. Go back. They're wandering around. They find this guy. And then they black out, and the next thing they know, they're coming back through the gate. Yeah, they're waking up in funny suits. Harlan's there. He's last survivor. 11,000 years, he's been alone, and O'Neill did the calculation on that. Right. He's saying everything is better. And O'Neill did the calculation in his head within, like, seconds. Yeah. They're faster than the Nox. Yeah, faster, stronger, better. Sure. And he won't explain what better is, so he just says, screw you, Harlan, I'm going home. Right. And they go get checked out. Saying they can't, they can't, they can't, but they go anyway. Yeah, he doesn't explain why, he just says no. And they go back home, they get checked out, and that's when we discover that they're robots. Yeah, awesome moment. Jack just kind of ripping open his arm. Yes. And he's completely incredulous. What the hell did they do to me? (laughs) I'm Jack O'Neill. General, you got two grandkids. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, 
I wonder what ever happened to those grandkids' parents, because the grandkids' parents never seem to be around. You know what? <laughs> they never do, but they were taking them to recitals and whatnot, so... I'm it feels sure. like the grandkids lived with the grandparents. Now, here's a, a question. Were they the kids of Hammond's son or daughter? I have no idea. I don't either. There's just a big thing that Hammond has grandkids, and they're over all the time, and Jack clearly knows them, and Uh so they're at least local, but you never hear about their parents, and so it's just kind of odd, because there's all these random references to his grandkids, but never about a kid. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It doesn't have to. Nope. SG-1 passes out. Yep, because they've run out of battery power. The last thing Jack is able to get out is that they have to go back to the planet. Yep. So Hammond kind of, I guess, wisely sends them back through the gates in the hopes that they'll figure this out for themselves. Because, you know, SG-1, the real ones, are still out there. Yes, though the fake SG-1 are still, like, maintaining the SG-1. So... Yeah. Harlan is there, and he convinces them to help him with the factory or whatever this place is where he's living. And as an interesting note, I believe this was also the warehouse that was filmed for many different episodes. Nice. And future seasons that we will talk, I will talk about at a later date. But as far as doing all this work on this factory place and Tilk seems a little off. And he's a little more silent. It starts off with he's a little more silent than usual and his glares are a little harder. And it turns out that there were two entities within Tilk. Harlan couldn't figure out which was which. And so he kind of tried to combine them. Bad times. Bad idea. (laughs) Tilk Plus gold is massively... So, Tilk tries to kill Jack, and lots of shit goes down, and Jack has to, quote-unquote, kill Tilk in order to save himself, and he's gonna go to Harlan, what the hell is going on here? And the only thing is, Harlan will say, you go back to your room, I will make it better. <laughs> we will make it better. Yes. And, of course, they're not going to go back to their room, so they go off exploring and find the real SG-1, who are still in their combat gear and not in the weird black uniforms. Mm-hmm. And this is actually one of the... It was a clever camera trick. The mirror technique and all that stuff. And the fact that they're going face-to-face, and the Sams are, of course, pretty much on par. I, I, did, I didn't especially appreciate the fact that Sam's genius is on par with the machines. It would have been much more interesting if Jack's machine genius was on par with Sam's genius. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Good times. So, I, and I just, I love Jack getting in the argument with himself. Is that in this one? Yes. Yeah, it's like, we'll bury the gate after you're gone. And don't even think of sending a bomb through. <laughs> I was w- Yes, you were. <laughs> How do you know? It's because what I would have done. They just love to send bombs. Everybody loves bombs in this show. Yeah. Yay, bombs. It was a very good episodic show. It does not really play much to the plot, except for one other time. Mm-hmm. 
One question that I had with this episode is Harlan's civilization died out 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Then how do they... Why do they look so much like humans? Because... They made robots in their image. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, didn't they go not take any humans up? Like, didn't they first take them just in around ancient Egypt time? And so that would have been way after 10,000 years ago. What no. did the movie say? It was... 8,000 B.C.? Right. Well, that would be... Yeah, that would be just about... I don't know. That's a good point. Conned into the fact that the ghoul were trying... have been taken... Sorry. You keep cutting out. Yeah, that's... I... I... That was my fault. Sorry. I need to stop playing with my button. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm just gonna do that. What are you doing? So you're causing your fade-outs? So what happened was my headset dongle is draping against my chair, and I've been tugging it up, but it's been catching on something, and I figured out that it was the mute switch was catching on the chair. Aha. Cutting out. Mystery solved. So anyway, what was I saying? Shit. I have nothing else. It's a good episode. It's very funny. We're going to take some hooks from it and possibly use them in our fic, because we can. And moving on to episode 17, which I gotta say I think might be the last one for me. Solitudes, which is a great episode. A lot of real bonding between Sam and Jack. There's a power surge in the gate. Bow chicka wow wow. Only with their clothes on top, but, you know, they, they got up close and personal. They're sharing body heat just so they don't freeze to death. Er. <laughs> that's and, the only reason. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's why Sam went back to the It was revealed that it was an ice planet, and there was no hope for them, and they were all gonna die. Yep. I love how she can judge that it's an ice planet from just one look around the horizon. It's like, Mm, yeah, it's a nice planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is why I'm glad that they later developed the UAVs to say that, yes, there is something worthwhile on this planet. It's just far away from the gate. And I'm so the further that what life planet might not revolve around the gate. Mm-hmm. Well, well, look, I, look at the planet and broke a divide. The gate was in the forest. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely... Some, sometimes, you know, you run into the civilization that they're like, well, there's this big round thing and we don't know what it does. So we, we're not... Let's make it the focal point of the village. <laughs> Instead of, we're just going to leave it off to the side where we found it and just not care. Exactly. They're on this ice planet and I'm not even going to describe it because they're, they're in Antarctica and... They find a serpent guard there, and they're wondering what the hell he's doing there, and... The DHD. They found the DHD, they chipped that out. And they're great for the scene where Sam's chipping away at the DHD. There's a great, um, I guess blooper is kind of the word for it, but it's really more of a prank that they pulled on Richard Dean Anderson, which, you know, everybody who's anybody knows that Richard Dean Anderson is not famous originally for SG-1. He is famous for being MacGyver, which was a great show. Everybody should see it. So MacGyver could put things together with just about anything. Cat, you faded. You're still faded. 
Can I? Hello? Hello. Um, oh, sorry. I was playing with the headset again. Stop that. Stop. My thumb catches in my headset and then I talk with my hands and it just goes flying. <laughs> I'm really tired at this point. All right. Uh, where, where did I cut out? Something about MacGyver. Richard Dean Anderson famous not just for Estragon, but before that he was famous for MacGyver. And MacGyver is this great show. Basically he's a scientist that, or he's a super spy that doesn't like guns. He doesn't believe in guns. So he uses other things to get out of all these situations that he gets into saving the world. So paper clips and duct tape, this guy can get through anything on paper clips and duct tape. So I've set this up now. He so, needs a Swiss Army knife. Sam is on the DHD, and she's digging it out out of the ice, and Jack kind of collapses next to her and delivers some line of, like, there's no hope, and I don't think this is going to work, and I don't think we're going to live through this. And Sam kind of looks at him, and Amanda Tapping goes, Well, you were on MacGyver for, you know, nine years. You know, you've got we've got shoelaces and duct tape and paper clips. <laughs> Fix the thing already. <laughs> I'm stuck in an ice planet with MacGyver! And then... <laughs> of course, Richard Dean Anderson just looks at the camera because he knows that they've set this entire thing up. The second nod to the fact that he was on MacGyver and it's a great reference. It is a great reference. Funny. But they get the DHD chipped out and it doesn't work because... No. Well, here's what I want to know. She's trying to dial, but... Oh, wait, never mind. I just figured it out. The DHD sort of works, but they can't establish a wormhole because they're trying to dial Earth's coordinates. And they're on Earth. And they have a unique point of origin, so they think they're on a different planet. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work. Apparently the gates are too close together to establish a wormhole between them. You can't establish a wormhole on the same planet. Nope. Establish a wormhole through a planet, but that's not a good idea. In general, generally speaking. <laughs> Correct. So Sam's trying to fix it. She reboots the thing. Still no success. Jack is broken rib, internal bleeding, a broken leg, a concussion. He's in really bad shape. Yeah, his car got a flat tire that morning. He was pulled over for speeding. Good day. (laughs) Just not having a good day. Meanwhile, Daniel is trying to figure this out, and since he's not an astrophysicist, he doesn't really know what the hell he's doing. He's up at like 3 in the morning staring at the star systems because they've ruled out everywhere that they could be. Mm-hmm. They figured out that the wormhole jumped. They just don't know where. Just don't know where. And the gate glows for a second, and the entire room shakes. Yep. And then it's off. And... Daniel figures out that they're somewhere on the planet. Yep, there's one planet within range that they haven't checked. Here. <laughs> and they check for seismic activity. Say, say again? They check for seismic activity, which was very clever of them, and they find out that there's a gate in Antarctica. The land of the ice to the south. It's the end of the episode, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the end of this episode, because what's coming up is a huge three-parter, and... Four-parter. Uh, four-parter? Yeah. We might, do we want to do season two, episode one, within this, because it's... You're breaking up again, Kat. Damn. Just hold the thing and, like, tape it or something. 
tape it to the desk or so can you hear me now yes so there's there but for the grace of god which goes directly into politics without any weight Uh uh-huh from politics you go directly into within the serpent's grasp and then directly from there that's that's an axle partner that goes into season two Mm -hmm. i think we should definitely cover all of that stuff in one because it's part of a huge plot yeah you hard to do it episodically and I figure as long as we're doing three episodes we might well as well do four and just end the arc. I agree. So when we come back next time we'll do episodes 18, 19, 20 and then we'll do one from next season. Yep. That sounds fabulous. Awesome. Alright. Final thoughts on where we are so far, how far we've come, uh, the wacky adventures we've had. Well, I guess... Sorry, it's not so much final thought on that, as one of the only things that I uh, missed talking about in my notes is uh, in First Commandment with the uh, MREs that uh, Daniel's like, talking about. It says, tastes like chicken. Sam asks what's wrong with that, and it's macaroni and cheese. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Like the perimeter in that episode. <laughs> With the car alarm. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Okay, yeah. at least. Sorry, it took me a second. I'm like, eh. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of clever. Um, if any pebbles attack us, we'll know. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. Yes. So my final thoughts I, I mean I, I've said it already but I think I understand why there are a lot of people who can't really get into it because of season one and my only advice is stick through season two because I mean once you hit once you hit there but for the grace of God SG1 really hits its stride and actually starts getting into arcs and more development and, and deeper plot lines mm-hmm. as we said there's a lot of seeds scattered throughout this first season. There's a lot of stuff that they're laying the groundwork to develop later. Yeah. In that respect, it's a lot like Babylon 5. Know how many seats yeah. are until you see the characters and then come back and, and watch it again and they go like, mm-hmm. and, that, and there's, oh my gosh! <laughs> I can't believe they were hinting at this all the way back here. I, I give them math props. They didn't, and so Babylon 5... Cat? What? You faded. I'm like, you should see me. I'm gripping my computer in a funny way. (laughs) (laughs) Tape down the cord somewhere where you can't possibly connect with that button. The way Babylon 5 worked is they actually planned for it to be a four-season thing. Five-year. Five-year. Five-year thing. (laughs) They didn't plan anything. They thought they were going to be cut by season one. And yet, they still, you know, every, it was an every year, we don't know if we're going to continue this. There was no plan. And the genius of telling a story that made sense within the season, but still very subtly setting the seeds if they got to continue for what they did, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for a series that was convinced they were going to be canceled... They sure ended a lot of seasons on cliffhangers. Did yeah. got the producers apparently. Just, mm-hmm. Slippy, you have to renew us for a new season. 
season one's pretty great like just watching it the first time but like when you've seen the series and you go back to just all the little things that you miss and also the things that seem serious that now you can't help but laugh at such as Daniel's dying mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's just awesome Alright, and with that, we are going to say goodnight. We will see you sometime soon in the future. We will discuss the big, big arc that ends off the first season. And... Buenos noches. (laughs) Buenos noches. Yeah, sorry, my brain is gone. I... need to go to bed. I do need to go to bed, but I need to wait for my sweetie to get home first. I don't know how late it's going to be. She's visiting with her sister. I'm surprised if her sister's awake if she flew in from South Korea. Ow. (sighs) Alright, I'm extremely tired and not altogether here. It's been fabulous. Good night. Good night. Good night.